This is Say Hello to My Little Friend, the podcast that barely exists in terms of new episodes, but which certainly does exist nonetheless. I'm your host, Glenn Peoples, and this is episode 55. 55. Now, this is an interesting episode. Well, I think all of my episodes are relatively interesting, but this one, I'll tell you how this one came about. Earlier this year, the General Synod of the Anglican Church in this little part of the world met. And they made what I think was a mistake. They made an unfortunate decision when it comes to the blessing of same-sex relationships. And occasionally, I speak, I preach at our church. And it just happened that the first Sunday after that synod, it was my turn to preach. (laughs) Make of that what you will. It's providential. Um... I gave a similar version of that talk um, at a church of some friends of mine in Hamilton a little while later. And it's that slightly different version which I'm going to give to you today. So you'll know what I shared with them. But that gives you the background for where this talk came from. So without further ado, here it is. There is a quote which is sometimes incorrectly attributed to Martin Luther, but it actually comes from a 19th century novel that is relevant today. So I'll quote from it now. If I profess with the loudest voice and the clearest exposition every portion of the truth of God, except precisely that little point which the world and the devil are at that moment attacking, I am not confessing Christ. However boldly I may be professing Christianity... Where the battle rages, the loyalty of the soldier is proved, and to be steady on all the battlefield besides is mere flight and disgrace to him if he flinches at that one point. There's a lot of fine theology that I could share with you today based on on the, the biblical readings that we've had in today's service. And don't get me wrong, I like theology. There are a lot of easy sermons to preach where I will do nothing but affirm, encourage, and reassure. But if if I flinch and I do not bring you the message that I believe I ought to bring you, then I'm not being obedient to the call that belongs to everyone who presumes to stand behind a pulpit. A few weeks ago, the General Synod of the Anglican Church in this corner of the world met. It's the church I believe God called me to a few years ago and where God only knows for sure at this point, I may yet go into ministry of some form. They met, and a decision was made. For those who haven't heard, that decision means that while the church is not giving up a biblical doctrine of marriage as the union of a man and a woman, the church will, if the bishop of that diocese gives approval, 
provide a ceremony of blessing on a same-sex relationship. It's seen as a kind of compromise view between the conservatives and the liberals within the church. So as an example of what that would mean, pending clarification, but this is what, on the face of it, it means. If a man and a woman in the congregation are in a sexual relationship with no intention of entering marriage, then they will be deemed to be in disobedience to the teaching of Scripture and of the church. That's not surprising. That's a very old-school outlook within the church. And if a man and another man are in a sexual relationship outside of marriage, which by its nature cannot pursue marriage, because the church still teaches that marriage is the union of a man and a woman, the church will, if the bishop approves, bless that relationship. That's how compromises sometimes turn out, with some very strange results. It creates a degree of confusion, and as you might expect, those who uphold the teaching of Scripture as expressed historically in the teaching and practice of the Anglican Church who were present were grieved by that decision, and some have indicated that they can no longer be part of the Church. That is possibly a shame, because I think the Church needs them now more than ever, and I can certainly understand their decision, but for reasons that I'm happy to elaborate on elsewhere, I'm staying. Now, I won't, but I could give a lengthy talk about all that Scripture says about marriage and sex. That's not what I'm going to do today. About how, <laughs> I said I'm not going to do it, now I'm going to tell you what I could have said. About how men and women complete each other in the creation story, and how man without woman could not provide his own sexual complement. I could talk about the way that sex was always treated as belonging to the marriage of a man and a woman in the law of Moses, and how deviation from that pattern in any form was always treated as a serious sin, not just same-sex relationships, but any deviation. I could talk about the way that Jesus used the creation story to describe what marriage is like as the union of man and woman. I could talk about the way that St. Paul specifically calls out sex between members of the same sex as sinful, alongside adultery, greed, drunkenness, and other things. Now, I'm not going to go into detail on all of that, because the particular issue of same-sex relationships is not the heart of my message. No matter what sins we find ourselves drawn to, and it's not the same for everyone, I'm remind, reminded of the uh, pastoral warning against judging more harshly those who sin different from you. No matter what sin we struggle with, the consistent message of Scripture is that God has expressed his love for you in sending his Son. You are called and welcomed into his kingdom, and part of being part of God's kingdom is that we confront our sin, and that's not always or often very pleasant. We don't ask that the laws of the kingdom be rewritten to make us feel more welcome. But the truth is, whether everyone acknowledges it or not, when people outside the church, as well as within the church, push for changes like these, the driver is not because this is what Holy Scripture teaches we should do, and so we we need to change the church. I know that some people try to reverse engineer the portrayal of the process to, to convince themselves that that's what's driving them. It is not. I think I've been around the block a few times, and I can justify saying that. If you've been seriously involved in this conversation for some years, what you repeatedly see is that we should be more inclusive. 
so the church needs to change. People feel alienated because they can't help wanting something that the church forbids, so the church needs to change. These are outdated or archaic views, so the church needs to change. This is intolerant, so the church needs to change, and so on. There is an attitude, not just with this issue. This issue is not unique. There is an attitude in general that if I find that the teachings of the church do not align with what seems right or good to me, or they're so hard that I feel like I can't be part of the church without changing, or without letting go of something that now feels really important to me, then it is the teaching of the church that must change, not me. Where do we think the church got its teachings? Have a look at the reading that I chose for today. And for those at home in the podcast audience, it was 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It would be easy to misuse this passage by ending our reading at verse 10. We could list all of these terrible, awful, dirty sinners, including the sexually immoral, and yes, including those who are in sexual relationships with the same sex, because that's another kind of sexual relationship outside of marriage. We could place a wall between us and them and say, you're not part of God's kingdom, we are, full stop. Because St. Paul says in this passage that people who live this way won't inherit God's kingdom. Or you can read the very next sentence that he wrote, where he says, And this is what some of you were. Change. It's something that mattered a lot to St. Paul. He said, but you were washed, you were sanctified. That means God made you holy. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. That's what he said. People are always calling, people within and outside the church, for the church to change to accommodate people. And Yes, when people come into contact with Christ, usually through the church, there are going to be changes that need to take place, that should take place. They won't always take place, but they ought to. But the direction of that change does not mean that the church ought to change to accommodate the values of the culture in which it exists. That's not the direction of change. Change can be really difficult. It can be painful, it can seem to take forever, and the truth is that it may not ultimately happen in this life at all. Look at the letters of St. John, where he said, I write to you so that you don't sin, but if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, and so on. And you read that and you think, even really big sins? Yeah, even really big sins. As a side comment, but one that might seem, but shouldn't, but might seem a bit radical for some people. If we're going to, as we must, welcome people who experience same-sex attraction into the church to join with us in following Christ, we can't then act like the sky is falling if they don't flick the switch and become perfect, if they, like plenty of us, mess up sometimes. Now, I have no idea how hard it would be to be in that position, but I'm certainly not envious. Change will not be complete on this side of the resurrection, and for some it is more grueling than others. We cannot afford to be flippant about that. It would be easier if Christ changed, wouldn't it? It would be easier if the church changed rather than served as an agent of change, but that's not how this relationship works. We are disciples, we're followers. 
The first Sunday after the Anglican Synod made this decision, it was my turn to preach. When I looked over the readings for the morning, the first words that my eyes settled on were from our New Testament reading in 1 John, which says, If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. How fitting. Yes, we will listen to the world. Yes, we will hear the testimony of those for whom the teaching of Scripture is difficult. It's difficult for me. You think I'm a perfect follower of it? I'm one of those people for whom John wrote, but if anyone does sin... Yes, we will even hear the testimony of the general synod. Why wouldn't we? But the testimony of God is greater. Nothing has changed. The teaching of Scripture today is the same as it was this time last week, last month, last year, and so on. You know, words didn't disappear off the pages. You might say, isn't there a way of being a Christian, of having the Bible and all that, but not offending, not upsetting? Well, that's that's a good question. But the short answer is no. Listen, I mean, if you're a Christian, you, you are a disciple. You say that Jesus is your master. Listen to your master. And ironically, this was the gospel reading for that same Sunday as Jesus spoke to his father. He said, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. End quote. Sanctify them, that is, make them holy in the truth. Jesus didn't even ask that people would stop hating the church or what it teaches, but only that we would be safe from the evil one. Are you ever afraid of what people would think of you if they knew what you really believed, that you were a Christian? Does the fact that the Bible teaches some things that are really different from what is popular in our world make you worried that people are going to think you're out of touch or that you're not progressive enough? That might tempt you to do something like what the General Synod is sliding into, present a version of the faith that is hopefully, fingers crossed, going to make you less embarrassed. Seriously, give it up. You believe in a God who was born of a virgin and who rose from the dead, which is not magically going to become more palatable because you conform to secular culture on a few issues. You don't belong to them. You belong to Christ, and Christ is pretty clear about the fact that people are going to think you're a fool for believing in him. Let them. So there is where I will leave you with a bullet-pointed list. Listen. In belonging to the church, you seek not to change it to be more like you, but rather to be changed, to become more like Christ. Secondly, when the teaching of Scripture is unpopular or offensive, you should not be surprised or feel like you have to go into emergency mode to make your faith less embarrassing. Own it. Jesus said that the world would hate you. So the truth is you're probably feeling the brunt far less than you could be. I don't feel particularly hated, do you? Thirdly, whatever may have happened at a meeting of people you've never heard of in the last week, the testimony of God still outweighs the testimony of men and women. Lastly, no matter who you are or what your background may be, 
You are loved and welcome to be part of the journey of following Jesus with the church. We're here to help you make that journey, just as the church is here to help me make that journey. But there are no promises that it won't be hard or confronting or even painful at times. But, we think, it's really worth it.